Welcome to Peak Market Watch, bringing listeners the latest news in the commercial real estate industry. Every other Wednesday, Anton Matley from Peak Financing will interview a variety of investors, brokers, syndicators, vendors, and finance experts who live and breathe commercial real estate. Whether you are a commercial real estate professional or completely new to the industry, Peak Market Watch will give you an inside look into the state of the market from experts who know it best. Let's get into the show. Welcome to today's episode of Peak Market Watch. We speak with market leaders in commercial real estate and related services who have a close pulse on the current market environment. My name is Anton Madley, co-founder and CEO of Peak Financing. And today I'm honored to welcome Marlene Garza of Reap Equity, a real estate investment firm based in San Antonio. Uh, welcome, Marlene. Thank you, Anton. Great to be on with you. Excited to to share and learn more from you as always. Yeah, uh, definitely. We have had a, a tumultuous year behind us and we are probably not uh, over yet. Uh, so why don't you briefly introduce yourself to, to our listeners who do not know you yet. Uh, you have a great career in, in multifamily. So I've, I would say it's always helpful to share a little bit of your background Happy to do that. Um, Anton, I uh, have a degree in finance. So uh, luckily, I chose that career path uh, long ago, uh, because it's been very helpful to me. And before starting in commercial real estate, I was in banking for 20 years. So I did everything from uh, running banking centers, I was a lender. I also um, launched uh, one of the National Bank's first Hispanic marketing program and managed an HR team nationwide, which in my current business has all been very, very helpful experience uh, to bring to our business. Uh, we started in 2012. Uh, you know, you're talking about a tumultuous time. Uh, we actually started looking in 2008. Well, we all know that was a financial crisis time frame, and banks weren't lending at the time. And so, Fast forward a few years, we bought our first property in 2012, a 24-unit that my husband and I managed ourselves. Uh, part of it is because we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into, and part of it was we truly are the kind of people that want to know the ins and outs of running a business, and so it allowed us to be the manager, the leasing agent, the rent collector, the maintenance man, uh, and the people who were responsible for rehab. So fast forward uh, to today, 28 deals later, about 610 million in assets, uh, we, and about, uh, about 35 million in rehab that we've done over that period of time. We've learned a lot, and I think it's, it's helpful in today's market to have had all of that in our background. Yeah, that's great. Uh, now it's uh, you mentioned your husband. I think you you have your whole family or a big part of your family participating in uh, in the business, right? We do. Yes, our our kids started in high school working for us on properties, and so 
they learned leasing and maintenance and everything from the ground up. And then they each went to pursue their own college degrees and decided to come back. So our daughter works with us on the acquisitions team. And our son is actually working on our first ground up development. And we're lucky his wife has joined us uh, on the marketing team. So our goal is to build a legacy business. We're in this for a long time and hopefully uh, the kids will take over in the future. Yeah, that's great. Right? Uh, uh, obviously, they have been able to learn uh, from you and uh, uh, doing, uh, doing all these years. So that's, it's great to hear that uh, everyone is, is getting involved and uh, using their particular strength, right? Because everyone has different uh different strength and uh different weaknesses so it's it's great to have multiple uh, family members that can contribute so uh congratulations on that uh so we talked about the tumultus last year again you mentioned 2008 when uh when you also started considering and then obviously faced a pretty Pretty rough times there. Uh, we have had since 2012 a very good run uh, until obviously COVID hit. Then everything was, uh, uh, everyone was was scared for a brief period of time. But then we had the federal government providing a lot of stimulus, lowering rates, uh, uh, commercial real estate prices, including multifamily, jumped up significantly. And then uh, the, the government f uh, finally realized, oh, we have a problem with inflation. Let's fix that and raise interest rates at the speed that we have never seen before. Uh, so how, how have you been dealing with, with that uh, environment, particularly over the last year when we have seen that the rank growth in 2021 into early 2022 obviously was outstanding, but it only has, has started to weaken. Expenses have gone up. And on top of it, we also have had interest rates going up dramatically. So it would be interesting to hear from you, right, since you're really uh, right in the trenches there on a day-by-day -day basis, not only as a uh, as a as a syndicator, uh, but also as a as an operator operating these properties. So, if you can share a little bit of your experience from both perspectives uh, with our listeners, that would be really helpful. Yes. So, Anton, I'm going to take us back a little bit back to COVID because I think that's where things started to change. Um, in you know the start of COVID. I think everybody in any industry was a little concerned about what was going to happen. And so for us, we chose not to close our doors, as many companies did for, for various reasons. But for us, the focus was on taking care of the residents. So our management team on our management company side trained everybody on how to safely do their job. Uh, luckily, we had already gone through the process of putting all of our payments online. And so nobody needed to come into our offices to make their rent payment. Um, and we'd also done all of our leases online and we had virtual tours. So we were positioned for something we didn't know was coming. Right. And so in during COVID, 
we continued to take care of our residents, um, even at one time bagged groceries to send out to the families that were most in need at our properties because our managers told us they're paying the rent, but they are not too sure how they're going to feed their family. And so we did our part in taking care of them. And it was very rewarding for us to be able to do that. So we really focused during that time on the operation side of the house. Uh, we didn't buy anything until December of 2020. And we actually had an opportunity to buy a property that we had bid on uh, nine months before. And it was a loan assumption. Well, the buyer that was, had offered uh, $3 million more than we had uh, became scared. They were a billion-dollar company. And so they backed out of the deal, and the broker came back to us and said, if you guys want it, it's yours. And so we said, we'll take it, but not as a loan assumption. Uh, rates were good. We could really do a, an all-cash buy with a new loan. So that was an advantage for us. So... 2021, uh, we continued to buy. Uh, we saw it as an opportunity where the market was to find opportunities because the larger institutional players weren't in the market. They were on the sidelines and kind of still are today. And so we were able to buy a, a better asset at a better price. And so over the last two years, I think we bought eight assets that first year coming out of COVID. And we bought seven uh, last year. Half of those were when rates had already started to do their dramatic climb. And we just adjusted. We adjusted our underwriting. Uh, we adjusted everything we were doing on the operational side to make sure that we were positioned well to take on that growth. Added to our team, uh, because for us, Knowing what's happening on our properties every day is why we started the management company. So we put everybody to work, put their hats on and said, let's let's figure out how we take advantage of whatever particular situation is. So our NOI has grown. Our rents still continue, I think, on average, our 12 to 15 percent rent growth on renovated units. And so we've continued, I think, you know. When I look at today, what is different today? Well, Anton, folks um, like you uh, in the capital markets world control a lot of what's happening today. Uh, so right now we are selecting properties really based on not just the opportunity to grow the value of the property, but what kind of debt can we get and the best kind of debt we can get. So we're underwriting to that. In fact, we don't make an offer today unless we've got pretty stable sizing. We know where that asset is going to land from the debt side, from the loan side of it. And so that has been one of the things we've done quite a bit. Um, we're budgeting more for insurance and taxes. Uh, I think everybody today is trying to figure out what's going to happen on the insurance landscape. Um, you know, in Texas, we had that big snowstorm uh, a bit ago. And so that's still affecting insurance carriers today. So those are the things that we underwrite for. We get a pretty solid quote and an idea from our tax professionals where those two items are going so that we can underwrite. And then we underwrite more than what they tell us, right? You always have to underwrite for a worst case scenario. And 
I think we're also, even though we're still seeing 12 to 15% rent growth, we're underwriting three to 5% growth, right? Just to be conservative. And you guys on the lending side are a great checkpoint for us, right? Because you're also underwriting the deals from your perspective. And so the numbers have to match up um, to get that loan to work. And so that's one of the things I think that we're doing. Um, I think, you know, from the asset management side, because we do have an asset management team and some folks sometimes ask me, well, what's the difference between having asset management and then your management company? Well, asset management is the ownership checkpoint to a management company. So even though they work for us, we have a team that's monitoring the rents, that's monitoring expenses, that's monitoring that pro forma budget to make sure we get as close or exceed it as possible. So asset management has become big. Um, we have the fortune to be able to look at cash flow on a weekly basis. So even if you don't have your own management company, I would highly recommend that you establish weekly calls with your management company understand what your payables are doing, what is income doing, what are expenses doing. Literally, we looked at every single expense category across every property and said, where can we lean up? Um, so that was one exercise. The other is we underwrite for a lot of cash reserves that are not allocated to rehab or anything else, just in the event we need them, right? And so, um, when interest rates rose so quickly, you know, on our floating rate loans, the lenders wanted to start escrowing more for that replacement interest rate cap. And so some properties were really feeling the pinch from a cash flow standpoint. We luckily were not because of the fact that we had all those reserves on the front end. So those are just some of the things that we've done to kind of, um, and, I, I think adjust and uh, look at anticipating the future as much as you can. Yeah, all great points. Right, uh, I would say the key message really is uh, you need to do a much tighter uh, asset management uh, uh, in order to survive, and naturally you have the benefit that you can control the property management company too. So that gives you only uh, an advantage to someone who doesn't have the in-house uh, property management. Having said that, that's part of the asset management job. And as, as you and I know, right, there are a lot of uh, uh, syndicators, particularly the ones that are relatively new to the game, that they think that as long as there's a property manager, uh, it, it will be all okay. The problem is if there are some issues and if you are not on top of it as you mentioned with weekly calls and uh, key measurements that you constantly monitor you can fall behind very quickly in the performance and once you are behind it takes a lot of time until you are recovering from there and again from a lender perspective that's pretty scary right uh, so lenders just do not like to see deteriorating operating performance at the property if it's one month and it can be justified 
for whatever reason uh, that might be for a month, that is acceptable. It's not great, but acceptable. But if the trend is downwards for several months, it really puts a lot of pressure also on the property owners and asset managers because now they not only have a problem operationally, now they also have a problem with the lender breathing down their neck and asking them how to fix it. And for that, you need very often cash, right? And that's another point you brought up, which I think is crucially important now to have plenty of operating reserves. And unfortunately, right, with interest rate increases, uh, we have seen a lot of operators that pulled some money from, from the CapEx bucket uh, that was uh, the intention to be used for actual rehab money that they are now using it for for the operational side just to, to feed uh, the shortage there, which obviously will not help with, with future rent growth. So having that uh, these reserves in place is, is definitely very important. And I think you also brought up another very good point when it comes to the loan, right? When the sun is shining and you know that you virtually everyone is throwing money at you with their lending, you can be a little bit more aggressive because you feel more comfortable that you can get a loan that meets your requirements in the current environment. That's definitely not the case, right? So it is crucially important uh, even before you someone really submits an offer uh, that that uh, it's pretty clear where the the loan proceeds and the terms would likely come in. Obviously, there is not a guarantee, but at least that one has a pretty good comfort level of where where the proceeds and terms are coming in. Yeah, I I agree. You you brought up a point about using your rehab dollars to, you know, sustain the property. And I mean, if you've got to do that, it's understandable. But for us, we've continued to rehab units, even though we hear other people aren't, because in our opinion, that's where that future rent growth is going to come from. And um, we also believe that that gives us a competitive advantage if the property down the street is no longer renovating units and we are, that renter is going to come to us. So we think that that gives us a, a big advantage in the market today. So, you know, and also, as you know, a lot of the, the rehab dollars have been lent to us mm-hmm. by lenders. And so they're going to ask you that question. Are you going to meet that deadline for all of that rehab that you said you were going to do? Um, and I think the other piece to it is maximizing the cash flow. Um, the lender is holding dollars for uh, reimbursements for money that we spend on the property. And so we've been very deal- diligent with our accounting and asset management team to make sure that those lender reimbursements are being submitted on time because that's cash. That's cash sitting there that really belongs to us. But if you're not renovating units, the lender's not going to give you those dollars um, for that because you have to show that you spent the money to get back the money. Yes, absolutely. And right, you need to spend that money first before you get the reimbursement. Well, a lot of people do not realize, right, yeah. uh, until they are deep in, in, in the deal and they are now struggling with cash flow. They need to rehab, but they don't have the money. The lender is not financing it. They are not releasing more funds. 
and it's just that uh, vicious cycle. Once you enter it, it's really hard to to get out of it. So the the best uh, approaches to ne never get in in to that point, so that everyone is comfortable and everyone is happy. Right. So uh, as you probably have experience, right? Some lenders are easier to work with than others. Uh, but I think there is a tendency with all lenders and their servicers, if they detect problems at the property, uh, life gets very uncomfortable for, uh, for an asset manager very quickly. So you just don't want to get to that point. <laughs> no, you don't. You know, I, I heard a story about an operator who, the property started to see a decline in performance. And so the lender went out to do the inspection, right? They have the right to come inspect the property at any time. And so what that inspection triggered was an, an additional 600,000 in repairs. Um, so the property was already, you know, cash constrained. And now the lender is saying, you've got to, you know, do these repairs uh, in 60 days. And so a lot of times the general partner will, you know, pony up the money or they'll do, you know, a cash call, which is the worst thing you want to do, uh, because your investors lose trust in you and your ability to run that property. So we are lucky that we have not been in that position a lot because we do manage very closely to the numbers and the others because of the cash reserves. Um, you know, you could have a fire on a property and you will receive business interruption insurance from the, the insurance carrier, but it's not going to be immediate. It's going to be 60 to 90 days before you see any of that. Um, so you've got to be able to supplement the property until those dollars come back in. So um, you're managing for the worst case scenario and preparing for it is the way I see it. Yes, uh, very good point. You brought up fire and insurance, right? Uh, uh, another aspect there is hopefully you have proper business insurance in place so that uh, you get reimbursed for, for that. Uh, the other aspect is that one has proper insurance in place that actually, despite inflation, the, the cost is covered with the insurance claim. And we know of a couple of situations where the insurance was just not uh, appropriate for for the, the to support the actual rehab. Uh, so it's it's always up to the syndicate or asset manager, property owner, uh, to decide what is appropriate, even if a lender allows lower coverage, right? And. Uh, I think that's also an important element. And again, it all comes down to whether someone is experienced enough to really understand what would happen in a worst case scenario, including a, a fire, uh, whether one can can recover from that uh, financially, but also quickly so that the property is back to uh, to its normal operations as quickly as it's possible. Right. I agree. I, I think, you know, the the uh, the point you brought up of many times people are looking for the cheapest insurance. Right. And it might be at a lower price per door. But to your point, always look at your coverage. What is it providing you and what are your deductibles? The property has to be able to support that um, and be able to replace it as certain replacement value. Um, 
I remember, you know, years back we were using $75 a square foot. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what the, the lender was allowing and the carrier was okay with, but we've seen even the insurance carriers today say, no, that number needs to be north of 125 a square foot because pricing has gone up on everything. And so um, that's something that we are well aware of. And, you know, we look at expenses, as I mentioned, very, very closely. Many times when we take over a property, we look at every single contract, we cancel pretty much everything that the seller has, and then we renegotiate with them. And what we've seen on average is 14 to 17% savings on expenses, strictly from those service contracts that we renegotiate. Those are real dollars. They translate into, in some cases, $3 million in value, up to $6 million in value, depending on the property. So when you buy it, look at your expenses. But then in today's world, to your point, uh, we are looking for ways to not have supply shortages in addition to the pricing, right? I think everybody talks about that. Pay, uh, people shortage and, you know, supply shortage. So we actually signed up with some very big national suppliers um, actually coming out of COVID. And so we get um, pricing at the national level and that allows us to continue to get a lot of our supplies in on time. And we do things like appliances. We found a way to get to the top of the list with their suppliers. And that was by ensuring them that we would pay them as quickly as possible. So if another company's paying them 60 to 90 days out for those appliances, and we're paying them no later than 30 days, we're going to be put at the top of the list. And we've seen that. So it, it's always adjusting. It's always looking for what's the next thing we can do to either save money or make money. Yeah. Uh, obviously, it's always a balancing act, right? But uh, uh, if you do not have all the material and equipment to turn a unit, uh, it's a problem, right? And it, it costs is. much more than what one originally thought one would save with one supplier over another, uh, with with a unit sitting empty because it's it's you it's not ready uh, to be leased again. It it can be uh, very costly. It really can, and so we we tried to get ahead of that and. I would encourage people to look at that, um, whether they're managing their own rehab or the third-party companies managing it. A lot of times the third-party company has national contracts. And so it, they're not going to change their pricing for your property. They're going to just use what that is. So ask, what is your pricing for various items? What am I paying for? And you can really look at that in your own budgeting and compare it to your pro forma budget to make sure that there's adequate dollars there to, to turn the units. Um, and then it's, you know, the labor side of it. Um, we're very fortunate to have a, a small construction team and a capital projects manager that manages all of that. And their job is to come in on time and under budget. And so we've got another pair of eyes that are looking at that. So if you as an owner are doing that yourself, make sure that those are the items that you're watching because they can add up very quickly. And sometimes those dollars are spent on other things. So you end up running out of rehab dollars, but 
you know, you've only done 50% of your units. Well, that's where the rent growth is coming from. So it's, it's a big impact um, to you overall. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Uh, uh, we, we have, unfortunately, we have seen uh, kind of that loose asset management, though it's $50 difference. So it's not a big deal. $20, $75 uh, on, on their own. They are not uh, creating a big impact. But once you add up these numbers, uh, they turn out to be pretty big numbers, uh, right? Whether it's a 50, 100 or 200, 300 unit property. Uh, so that uh, has a massive impact on on how much money is being spent. And obviously, once it's gone, it's gone. And if there is no additional value that was created with it, it is a problem. Uh, now, what I also wanted to ask you, since you are very active in, in San Antonio, also have properties in some of the other markets, uh, where do you foresee uh, the tax assessments uh, and the the battle with with the uh, with the assessors this year? Uh, well, how that is going to turn out? Well, you know, we've talked a lot to um, we use Ryan LLC to do all of our properties, and I, I'm probably on the phone with them every two to three months these days, asking them what's it looking like. And what we were told probably six months ago was that the state of Texas had a surplus of $33 billion. And I read something the other day that the governor was trying to figure out how does he provide tax relief? Um, and then my question becomes, is that tax relief going to residential homeowners or commercial? Where is it going to net out? Nobody really knows today. There's different bills in the house now that trying to target a solution to that. Uh, but what our folks are telling us also is that coming out of COVID, during COVID, they, there's a lot of the municipalities didn't raise taxes as high because they understood that properties income levels were maybe not as, as high as they'd been previously. Um, so they didn't raise rents, call it 21 to 22, but then when 22 came around, the municipalities were like, it's time to catch up. And so what we saw for 2022 was a dramatic increase. So we, we always appeal the taxes and then uh, our attorney will file a claim if, or not a claim, but a lawsuit if those values don't come in at the mediation stage where they should. So um, our tax guy is saying today, that because market values are down 15 to 20%, if you look at pricing on assets today, that's about where they're netting out, that he is really hoping that that makes an impact in the valuations for taxes this year. We just got uh, Bear County, San Antonio's uh, taxes. They were not as high as they were in 2022, but they are still above what we like. And so We'll go through our process of appealing the taxes and uh, uh, filing a lawsuit if we don't like the numbers. Yeah, so hopefully the mediation uh, and negotiation, informal negotiation will work out, right? Uh, the last thing you want is filing a lawsuit, but uh, sometimes you just don't have a choice. Right? I agree. We, we actually, we've worked with this attorney for 
gosh, almost since we started. And so he follows it on a flat fee basis because he gets so much business from us. So it's very cost efficient for us to do that. But then it's the waiting game. Um, I think when you look at the counties across the state, the bigger counties take longer to respond. Even once you've settled uh, your valuations and your taxes for a year, it might not hit their system for 60 to 90 days. So your lender's still going to escrow on that higher tax value until they get proof from the county that they've agreed to a lower value. So, um, you know, the other tip I'll share on that end is stay in constant contact with your lender, with your servicer. Let them know where you've agreed to a mediation, share what you have, and then work as hard as you can to get a final statement from the county at whatever county it is that shows that lower value. And then ask the lender for the difference. Many yeah. times some lenders will, or servicer will keep it and they'll say, well, we'll just apply it to next year's escrow. Those dollars are worth more today than they will be in the future. So to the extent you can request those, those escrow dollars that are above and beyond that tax value, um, to come back to you. Yes, uh, definitely. That's a, it's a very good point. You never want to, obviously, escrow is part of, uh, of uh, doing business, right? But you don't want to have more money in there than what is really required. And uh, the squeaky wheel, very often, particularly when it's proven that you have a lower uh, tax assessment and return lower taxes going forward, uh, it's a valid reason to reduce that escrow account. <laughs> yes, right. And yeah. it's, it's sizable dollars. <laughs> so. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, particularly in a market like Texas, right? Yes. Definitely the case. Yeah, so all great, great information that you shared with us uh, uh, today, Arlene. Uh, you have an event coming up uh, uh, in May, right? So maybe you can share some information about your event. We also put uh, more information in, in the link there so that our listeners can can sign up for it. But maybe if you just can give a little bit of an overview of what you're planning. Great. Happy to, Anton. Thank you. So we have an event coming on the May 19th, 20th, and 21st. And it is an event really designed to educate limited partners or investors on what to look for in a multifamily investment, what questions to ask an operator, um, what should they be looking for in terms of reporting from, you know, an, an existing investment. And so we'll cover that really why multifamily, why real estate, you know, we all know that multifamily is a very stable asset class uh, with great tax benefits and cash flow and great opportunities for appreciation, but all real estate is not created equal, right? And so you really need to um, work, know the jockey on the horse to know if they're going to win that race. And so we're going to really walk them through step-by-step step how to look at an, an investment opportunity. And then uh, we're, we're having that at the Briscoe, uh, one of the largest collection of Western art in the U.S. So we'll give them an opportunity to really not just hear numbers and, and ideas and thoughts, but to participate in really some fun experiences. Uh, we also um, rented out the Alamo for a dinner um, on Saturday evening, the 20th. 
And so the uh, investors will be able to take private tours, uh, hear the history and, and have a really nice opportunity uh, to, to network. And then yep. on Sunday, we're putting uh, folks on buses and we're taking them to our properties where we actually in process of a renovation or have completed a renovation so they can see what we did and why we chose to spend those rehab dollars on those particular things, what they look like today, and then how is that translating into numbers and returns for our investors. So we're very excited about it and we'd love to have folks come and join us and learn more. Yep, that's great. Uh, I think now it's more important than ever to really understand how to evaluate uh, deal sponsors, right? Obviously, uh, property is important, location is important, but if the uh, the people you call them the chalky, right? Uh, if they do not know what they are doing, the best location, the best property doesn't help. Right? So I agree. Yeah. And so the, the, I know you're providing the link, but I'd like to also verbally share it. It's sure. people's investor experience.com. Okay, great. Uh, so now maybe if you also, before we, uh, uh, uh log off, uh, uh, with our listeners, why don't you share your contact details so that, uh, everyone can reach out to you. Sounds great. The best way to reach me is invest at reapequity.com, and that's R-E-E-P equity.com. Uh, we've got a great investor relations team that captures all of those. And then Jacob or I personally get on every phone call with investors to share our background, to learn what their investing goals are, and make sure that they're very comfortable with what we're doing. Okay, great. Uh Thanks again, Arlene, for, for joining me today. It was really great. You shared some, some great uh, nuggets uh, and uh, uh, wish you a, a lot of success and a lot of uh, uh, people signing up for your event in, in May. And I'm sure it will be very valuable to, uh, to everyone who is attending there. Thanks again, Arlene. Thank you, Anton. I enjoyed it. To this episode of the Peak Market Watch. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date on the latest episodes. If you're interested in receiving a free commercial real estate loan quote for your property, click the link in the description. We look forward to connecting with you on our next episode of Peak Market Watch.